Hello, and welcome back to Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I don't have a guest, but I'm still very excited about this episode, because, well, people who know me know I love metal music. So, today I'm going to be telling you about some of the history of black metal in Norway. Don't worry, there's plenty of true crime goodness in this as well. I mean, I'm recording this at like 9.30 in the mornings, so I've swapped out my regular recording wine with coffee. Anyway, I know I've got a few listeners this week from the University of Birmingham Metal Society, so I'm sure I'll get plenty of people saying I've missed bits, I've gotten bits wrong, but I think for the time we've got, I've managed to narrow it down enough and kept it semi-accurate, hopefully. But um, we'll see how it goes. I'm quite excited for this one. This gets pretty fucked up at the point, so um, yeah, it should be fun. But yeah, let, let's talk black metal. Right, for those of you who don't know what black metal is, it's a um, a pretty extreme subgenre of uh, heavy metal, and generally involves um, very distorted guitars, shrieking vocals, fast tempos, like raw, low-quality recordings, and um, put a lot of emphasis on atmosphere and stuff. Artists famously often appear in um, corpse paint, which is like um, white and black face paint, um, which is meant to make them look like a corpse. Like, a lot of people will think Kiss, but um, less just to entertain and more for, like, a more to add to a dreadful atmosphere. And one thing I love about this is that they adopt pseudonyms or nicknames, which will make this a lot more fun to read out. For me, at least. But yeah. Like, the genre is pretty young. It started during the 1980s, when a few thrash and death metal bands kind of formed an early prototype for black metal. Uh, and... This was like a, fir- a first wave of bands, which included bands like Bathory, Merciful Fate, and um, Celtic Frost. But uh, what we're going to be talking more about the time of the second wave of uh, black metal, which happened in, around the early 1990s, and was kind of led by Norwegian bands like Mayhem, Burzum, Emperor, and Gorgoroth. And the early Norwegian black metal scene... Uh, developed the like the style of the earlier bands and kind of turned it into a distinct genre. And Norwegian-inspired black metal bands basically after that came out through Europe and North America, with um, some other scenes developing their own styles independently as well. But yeah, black metal is quite a controversial subject, and that's for pretty good reason. I mean, initially, uh, it was a cinnamon, a, a, a cinnamon. A, simon- a synonym. Yeah, initially it was a synonym for satanic metal, and tends to be met quite often with hostility from mainstream cu- culture. Um, for this, and uh, basically ju- because of the actions and I- and ideologies associated with it, a lot of the artists exp- like tend to show extreme anti-Christian and um, and misanthropic views. They tend to advocate various forms of Satanism or ethnic paganism. Um, in the 1990s, a few members of the scene uh, were responsible for a, a few crimes. And there's also like a small neo-Nazi movement that's associated within, uh, within black metal. Even though that has been uh, shunned by a lot of the leading artists. But not all of them. And uh, for, for quite a while, black metal has kind of tried to stay an underground genre. Um, either way, one thing I learned while researching this is that after a few hours of uh, listening to some of the bands that I just mentioned, uh, so I could get a feel for them, like, I, I only know a few black metal bands before this, 
Uh, I'm not the most versed on them, but I've listened to a few now. And uh, one thing I learned is that after a few hours of listening to them, it's surprisingly startling when the queue runs out and your playlist starts auto-playing the sign by Ace of Base. But yeah, anyway, let's get into um, a bit more of the detail. Like, the main band I'm going to be talking about here is uh, called Mayhem. It's a Norwegian black metal band which formed in 1984 in Oslo. They were one of the first founders of the Norwegian black metal scene and um, their music has basically has really strongly influenced the black metal genre in general and with their early career being very controversial um, for good reason and we'll go into that shortly it's pretty intense but yeah let's um, we'll start a bit from the beginning of a bit bit from the beginning of the band so so we can get a bit bit of an idea of the band in general Um, because there's a few stories associated with this so I'm going to kind of I've tried to blend it so it's in order of events but some things do overlap so um and so they might go back and forth a little but I've tried to arrange it in a decent enough way but yeah um I'm going to get a quick drink and uh I'll be right back Right, and we're back. But yeah, let's talk about Mayhem. This band's been quite long running. It's gone through a lot of um, member changes. So there's going to be a few names here. So I'll, I'll try to keep it understandable. So let's start from the early years. The band was founded in 1984 by by the guitarist Oyston Arsiv, who was initially known as Destructor and later more well-known as Euronymous. One of the other founding members was John Stubberud, who was known as Necro Butcher, and the drummer Pietil Mannheim. And once again, I'm going to butcher so many names, but I think we've, I think we've established that I'm going to do that anyway. Yeah, they took their band name from the Venom song Mayhem with Mercy, and were mainly influenced by... Uh, bands like Venom, Black Sabbath, Bathory, and Celtic Frost, Slayer, um, stuff like that. And their lineup uh, began by playing cover songs by Black Sabbath, Venom, uh, and Motorhead, uh, and also later recorded uh, a demo called Pure Fucking Armageddon. After its release, um, Arsif, who I'll, I'll try to not swap between their real name and. Um, and nickname too much. I'm going to try calling them by their nicknames for the most part because it's more fun that way. So um, um, after the release of the demo, um, Euronymous, who used to sing lead vocals with uh, Stubberud, recruited two session vocalists uh, who were Eric Norheim, who was known as Messiah, and Sven Eric Christiansen, who was known as Maniac. Ah, man. I love using these nicknames. But yeah, Norheim... uh, only played vocals for one concert, which took place in April 1986 in Ski. And by the end of that year, he'd quit Mayhem and later formed two other bands. And while with Christensen, Mayhem recorded its first EP, which was called Death Crush, in 1987, and released it through Euronymous's newly formed label, which was called Poser Corpse Music. There's some great names in this. And, um... Yeah, 
the initial 1,000 copy release of Death Crush sold out pretty quickly and was later reissued in 1993 by his renamed label, which was co- now which was now called Death Like Silence Productions, uh, which was a joint venture with, with Euronymous's specialist record shop, Helvete, which is Norwegian for hell. Um, Mannheim and Maniac uh, later left the band in 1988. Around here is where it starts getting interesting. And um, just because I can't remember if I, if I put a warning earlier, this might get a bit intense to some descriptions. So um, just a heads up. Tell, I'm here to tell the whole story. Yeah, this will tickle those true crime bones, as well as your metal history needs. So let's get into it. After Mannheim and Maniac left, um, they were replaced by a Swedish vocalist uh, named Per Ingri Olin, uh, who was known as Dead, and a local drummer called Jan Axel Blomberg, who was known as Hellhammer. Now, let's talk about Dead, who was a very interesting character. He was born in, in 1969 in Stockholm, and, um, and when he was young, as a child, uh, he suffered from sleep apnea, and at the age of 10, he suffered internal bleeding when his spleen ruptured after what he alleged was a an ice skating accident. In the Swedish book, Blod el Dod, which is Blood Fire Death in English, which was named after uh, Bathory's fourth album, uh, which is called Blood Fire Death. But yeah, in that, his brother um, gave an exclusive interview um, and, basically, and said um, that Dead was bullied in school and one day the beatings got out of hand, causing the ruptured spleen causing him to have to be rushed to a hospital where he was, for a time, clinically dead. Yeah, this is possibly where we can tie back to my second episode, um, where, where I talked with Bex about Kotar delusion. Because Chris Campion wrote that Dead may have suffered from Kotar delusion after this. And for you, those of you that, hadn't listened to, that haven't listened to the other episode, Kotar delusion, um, and, which basically mean, meant that he, that he really believed himself to be dead, as a result of this of the childhood trauma, and uh, honestly, after reading, after reading some des- some descriptions, I could I kind of agree with him, but um, I'm not a doctor, but it's pretty convincing. Yeah, shortly after this, uh, he deli- he he basically gained a taste for uh, metal music, and basically said his favorites were um, Black Sabbath, Kiss, Iron Maiden. Uh, Venom, Sodom, Judas Priest, ACDC, and Merciful Fate. And in early 1986, he founded the Swedish death metal band Morbid um, and recorded a demo demo tape called December Moon. Then he decided the band wasn't going anywhere and contacted members of Mayhem. And according to Necrobutcher, he initially sent a, a small package containing a demo tape, a letter, and they crucified Mouse. Though Necro Butcher lost the package, the package itself, he kept the tape, which um, had Dead's contact details. In early 1988, Dead moved to Norway and joined the band itself. And with Dead, the band's concerts became infamous. And for concerts, Dead went to massive lengths to achieve the image and atmosphere that he wanted. And from the beginning of his career, he was known to wear corpse paint, which, um, like we said earlier, basically involved, uh, was like face paint, which uh, was made up of black and white makeup. And according to Necro Butcher, uh, it wasn't anything to do with the way that Kiss and Alice Cooper used makeup. 
Dead actually wanted to look like a corpse. He didn't want. He didn't do it to look cool. And uh, Hellhammer claimed that Dead was the first black metal musician to use corpse paint. Uh, and to complete his corpse-like image, Dead would bury his stage clothes and dig them up again to wear on on the night of a concert. Like, in a lot of interviews, um, his fellow musicians often describe Dead as a odd and introverted uh, person. Hellhammer said that Dead had a very strange personality, depressed, melancholic, and dark. Pretty similarly, Euronymous once said, I honestly think that Dead is mentally insane. Which other way can you describe a man who does not eat in order to get starving wounds, or has a t-shirt with funeral announcements on it? Their former drummer, Mannheim, later likened Dead's personality uh, to that of Marvin the Android from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which, um, if you haven't read or seen the movie, uh, just do it because they're amazing. And there's a, and now there's a quote from um, the drummer of Emperor, Bard Faust Eifen, who um, who went on and killed a man in Lilyhammer later on. But yeah, um, he basically said, um, Dead wasn't a guy you can know very well. I think the other guys, I think even the other guys in Mayhem didn't, didn't know him very well. He just had to get close to. I'd met him maybe six to eight times. I remember Euronymous was talking about him and he said that he did not have any humour. He did, but it was very obscure. Honestly, I don't think he was enjoying living in this world. One second, I missed a bit. <laughs> yeah, according to Hellhammer, um, b- before the shows, um, Dead used to bury his clothes into the ground so they could so they could start to rot and get that grave scent. He was a corpse on stage. Once he even asked us to bury him in the ground, he wanted his skin to become pale. During um, one tour of Mayhem, he found a dead crow and kept it in a plastic bag. He often carried it around with him and would smell the bird before going on stage to sing, and I quote, with the stench of death in his nostrils. He also kept dead birds under his bed. Um, while singing on stage, Dead was known for cutting himself. During a gig in 1990, he slashed his arm with a, bro- with a broken bottle. Faust claimed that um, Dead had to be taken to the hospital after the, after the gig, but arrived too late, so and so it was no use to give him stitches. In an interview done by uh, the guitarist of Marduk, Morgan Hackinson, uh, also known as Evil, in Slayer magazine, he said, um, Dead kind of explained how how he tried to weed out poses with the band at their concerts. This I think you enjoy this one. Um, just a second, I need to prepare myself to say this one, I think. Okay, before we began to play, there was a crowd of about 300 in there. But in the second song, Necrolust, we began to throw around those pig heads. Only 50 were left. I like that. We scared those who shouldn't be at our concerts. And they all have to escape through the emergency exit with parts of their body missing, so we can have something to throw around. If someone doesn't like blood and rotten flesh thrown in their face, they can fuck off. And that's exactly what they do. But yeah, that's um, just a view into the into this band. Yeah, Dead would also would also often cut himself with hunting knives and broken glass as well. One of the brief later vo- vocalists for the band, uh, Occultus, uh, made uh, basically uh, said this about Dead: He didn't see himself as human. 
he saw himself as a creature from another world. He said that he had many visions, that, that his blood has frozen in his veins, that he was dead. That's the reason he took that name. He knew he would die. Later in 1990, the members of Mayhem moved to an old house in the forest near Oslo, which they used as a place for the band to rehearse. They, and, they, and they basically began writing songs for their next album, The Mysterious Domsafanus. I don't know how to pronounce that, but I tried. Yeah, with, with time, um, Dead's social situation and his fashion and his fascination with death to get much worse. It eventually led up to him trying to cut himself while while with friends who would have to subdue him and patch him up. Though this rightly upset many many of his friends, Euronymous became fascinated with Dead's suicidal tendencies, seemingly because it fit in with the band's image. According to members of the band, Euronymous encouraged Dead to kill himself. Which start which starts showing you a bit more of a window into Euronymous and how much of a fucking dick he was. Don't do that, guys. Don't be that dick. Like Mannheim said, I don't know if Oi- I don't know if Oystein did it out of pure evil or if he was just falling around. And according to Necro Butcher after living together for a while, Dead and Euronymous got on each other's nerves a lot and weren't really friends at the end. Hell, Dead once went outside to sleep in the woods because Euronymous was, set, was playing synth music that Dead hated. Euronymous then went outside and began shooting into the air with a shotgun. And there's also claims that Dead once stabbed Euronymous with a knife. But yeah, that's pretty fucked up. It gets more fucked up. So buckle in, I guess. On the 8th of April, 1991, Dead was in the house owned by the band and committed suicide. With his wrist slit and a shotgun wound to the head. The suicide note was actually, um, was actually on- online, so... Um, and it's, it's pretty unnerving just to, to read any, something like that at any point, really. So, um, yeah, just a heads up. All right. Let's get into it, because uh, this, yeah, this this note is um, actually incredible. Is actually very famous at this point. Is a suicide note read? No, excuse the blood, but I have slit my wrists and neck. It was the intention that I would die in the woods, so that it would take a few days before I was possibly found. I belong in the woods and and have always done so. No one will understand the reason for this anyway. To give some semblance of an explanation, I'm not a human. This is just a dream and I will soon awake. It was too cold and the blood kept clotting. Plus my new knife is too dull. If I don't succeed dying to the knife, I will blow all the shit out of my skull. Yet I do not know. I left all my lyrics but I let the good times roll. Uh, Plus the rest of the money. Whoever finds it gets the fucking thing. As a last salutation, I may pres- may I present life eternal. Do whatever you want with the fucking thing. Signed, Pele. I didn't come up with this now, but 17 years ago. It's a uh, pretty intense shit. And after finding him, Euronymous went on to be even more of a dick. Instead of calling the police, he went to a nearby store and bought a disposable camera to photograph the corpse after he rearranged some of the items 
One of these photos was later stolen and used as the cover of a bootleg live album called Dawn of the Black Hearts. And um, yeah, that's a picture you can still you can still find online, and that's um, actually the guy. So pretty damn unnerving, to say the least. Necro Butcher later uh, recalled how they had told people how Euronymous told him of their suicide. Uh, Oystein called me up the next day and says, Dead has done something really cool. He killed himself. I thought, have you lost it? What do you mean cool? He says, relax, I have photos of everything. I was in shock and grief. He was just thinking how to exploit it. So I told him, okay, don't even fucking call me before you destroy his pictures. So yeah, Euronymous is, yet again, a fucking dick. Um, so basically, yeah, he Euronymous used dead suicide to uh, basically foster Mayhem's evil image and started claiming stuff like Dead killed himself because death metal had become trendy and commercialised. There were rumours that Euronymous made a stew out of bits of Dead's brain and made necklaces out of bits of his skull. The band denied the the rumour about the stew, but they confirmed that the, la- the latter part was true. And Euronymous also claimed to have given these necklaces to musicians that he deemed worthy, which was also confirmed by people like Faust. Necrobudgeg... Um, speculated that taking the photograph and forcing other people to see it was a, was um, a way for Euronymous to cope with the shock of seeing his friend dead uh, and claimed that Euronymous went into a fantasy world and Faust believed that dead suicide marked the point at which under under Euronymous's direction the black metal scene began an obsession with all, with everything satanic and evil yeah, with Mannheim saying, Euronymous tried to be as extreme as he talked about. Quite rightly, I think, with the way he handled the suicide, a rift formed between uh, Euronymous and a fair few of his friends. So yeah, that was pretty dark. Um, that was pretty fucking rough. But um, yeah, this wasn't the end of Mayhem's mayhem streak of, well, Mayhem. Um, as also after de- after suicide... Necrobutcher was uh, affected so much that he left the band, leaving only two members left. For a little while, they uh, they played with a vocalist called uh, um, known as Occultist, who played vocals and bass tracks for their debut album, which they carried on recording, Demisterius Domsophanus. But he left the band uh, pretty shortly after he received a death threat from Euronymous. The saga continues. Uh, and in, in July 1993, they released Leibniz Leipzig as a tribute to Dead. Yeah, in late 1992, the recording of the album resumed with um, with Euronymous uh, picking up three more session musicians. And he got singer Attila Caesar of um, the Hungarian black metal band Tormentor. Then on rhythm guitar, he got Fornz's Snor W. Ruch also known as Black Fawn, and Burzum's Varg Vikernes, whose stage name was Count Grishnak. But yeah, for this next bit, I'm going to talk. Uh, I'm going to go into a bit about Varg, who many of you probably have seen his face. Like, even if you don't know know him, it's very likely that you've seen his face because, despite everything, he's basically a meme. But yeah, um. A bit into Varg's background. 
when he was six, his family moved for about a year to Baghdad. According to Vikernes, his father was working for Saddam Hussein, developing a computer program. And since there weren't any places available in the English school in Baghdad, Vikernes went to a Iraqi elementary school. And according to his interview um, with Lords of Chaos, this is where he became, to quote, aware of racial matters. His mother talks about how they spent a year in Iraq and that other children in his class would get slapped by their teachers and he would not. And she says that this created problems and that um, generally she has no good explanation of how Varg developed his views. But yeah, Vikernes um, had a quarrel with the teacher and called, and called him a monkey and um, like they wouldn't hit him. And Vikernes basically perceived it as teachers not daring to hit him because he was white. And then he talks about a bit, bit about his father, saying that um, he had a swastika flag in his home. And Vikernes feels that his father was a hypocrite uh, because he was worried about Vikernes being a Nazi, while he was also, to quote, pissed about all the coloured people he saw in town. And he says his mother was very was also very race conscious, and she was afraid that Vikernes was, to quote, going to come home with a black girl. So... Honestly, I think there's a decent explanation of how, of how he started developing his views, despite what she sa- his mother says. But um, yeah, around 95, uh, he still had a positive relationship with his mum, but um, very little contact with his dad, uh, and his parents were divorced, uh, with Vikernes' father uh, leaving in 1985 when he was 11 or 12. And um, like, there are claims that Vikernes was involved with, a, uh, with the skinhead scene in Bergen before he became a part of the black metal scene during his adolescence. Though he, though he says there were no skinheads in Bergen. Or he also mentions that he, has, that he had short hair at the time and also admired the Germans and hated the British and Americans. He was a, as a child, he was a fan of classical music, particularly Tchaikovsky, uh, and started listening to metal at 12. Iron Maiden as his biggest inspiration, and later, and bands that influenced his sound were stuff like Creator, Celtic Frost, and Bathory. I, mean, I didn't have to add this bit, but but I am a massive Tolkien fan, so I put it in anyway. From an early age, Vikernes was was fascinated with Middle Earth, which fair enough, I understand that greatly. Uh, and his stage name Grishnak was taken from an orc in the Two Towers. And the band, and the ba- and his bad name, Burzum, which means darkness, was taken from the Black Speech on the One Ring. And uh, also, before joining Old Funeral, he was in a band called Orokai, which, uh, yeah, I I can't, uh, I couldn't resist talking there. Yeah, Euronymous basically took Vikernes uh, and invited him to to play bass for Mayhem, and uh, also re- offering to release his own music as Burzum. Although it's claimed that their friendship eventually turned to rivalry. Faust, Faust basically said, um, it sounds silly, but but I think there was a little bit of a contest between them to see who could be more evil. It created a very difficult situation, especially for Euronymous, who wanted the glamour and showbiz. And with him, there was a lot of smoke, not so much fire. So basically, it was an edgy fight. Yeah, In mid-92, the Vandhoff Stave Church in Bergen was destroyed by arson, followed by a wave of church burnings all across Norway, perpetrated by musicians and fans of the black metal scene. With Vikernes strongly suspected as the, as the culprit of the Fantov Stave Church um, arson. And Euronymous was present at the burning of the of the Holman Colin Chapel uh, with Vikernes and Faust. 
And Faust said, um, he believes Euronymous got involved because he pr- he felt he had to prove he could be a part of it and not just in the background. And to coincide with the release of Mayhem's The Mysterious Dom Safanus, Bucernus and Euronymous plotted to blow up the Nidoros Cathedral, which appears on the album cover. At the time, claims were being made by various media outlets. Vicernus was associated with theistic Satanism. Though in an interview, uh, Vicernus made a statement about the church burnings and hinted at a heathen motivation instead of a Satanist one. And he, he basically said, and basically he said, um, I'm not going to say that I burnt any churches, but put it this way, there was one person who started it. I was not found guilty of burning the Fandhoff Stave Church, but anyway, that was what triggered the whole thing. That was the 6th of June, and everyone linked it to Satanism. What everyone overlooked was that on 6th June, 793, the Lindisfarne in Britain was the site of the first known Viking raid in history, with Vikings from Hordland, which is my country. And referring to Christians, he say, he said, They desecrated our graves, our burial mounds, so it's revenge. For each devastated graveyard, one heathen grave is avenged. For each ten churches burned to ashes, one heathen hoff is avenged. And for each ten priests or or Freemasons assassinated, one heathen is avenged. And uh, when asked whether the church burnings were were linked to Odinism or Germanic neo-paganism, he replied, The point is that all these churches are linked to one person, who is not Oystein, obviously, uh, referring to Euronymous. All the church burnings, with the exception of Stavanger, because that was another group, who, by the way, have also turned into nationalistic pagans. In a 93 interview on a Swedish on a Swedish radio show, Euronymous uh, basically said, referring to Christians, that they must feel that there is a dark, evil power that they have to fight, which will make them more extreme. We also believe that when a church burns, it's not only Christians who suffer, but people in general. Imagine a beautiful stave, a beautiful old staved church, but what happens when it burns? The Christians feel despair. God's house is destroyed, and order and ordinary people suffer from grief because something beautiful was destroyed. So you end up spreading grief and despair, which is a good thing. So, good old Euronymous being Euronymous. Well, yeah, basically earlier in the year, um, the black metal scene came into the media spotlight when one of Norway's biggest papers, the Bergens Tidende. Uh, basically had a enormous interview given by Varg uh, t- to a journalist, and where he claimed to have burnt the churches and killed a man in Lillehammer. And Vikernes basically said that the interview was planned by himself and Euronymous to, and the goal was to scare people and promote black metal so he could get more customers for Helvete, and added that the interview re- revealed nothing that could prove his involvement in any crime. Um, but by the time the article was printed, the Kernis had also had already been arrested with along with some other scene members and questioned. But all of all of them were released for lack of evidence in towards the end of the year, um Euronymous closed closed Helvete because uh, due to complaints by his parents, claiming his reasons were adverse media and police attention. And don't worry, we don't stop there. On the tenth of August nineteen ninety three, the Kernis and Rutsch travelled from Bergen for 518 kilometers to Euronymous's apartment in Oslo. On their arrival, a confrontation began, which ended with Vikernis fatally stabbing Euronymous, and Euronymous's body was found outside his apartment, with 23 cut wounds, two to the head, five to the neck, 
and 16 in the back. Vikernes claimed that Euronymous had planned to torture him to death and videotape the event, using a meeting about an unsigned contract as a pretext, and basically explained that if he was talking about it to, any, to everybody and anybody, I wouldn't have taken it seriously. But he just told a select group of friends, and one of them told me. On the night of the murder, Vikernes claimed that he intended to hand Euronymous the signed contract and tell him to fuck off. But Euronymous freaked out and attacked him first. And he also defends that most of Euronymous' cut wounds were, were caused by broken glass that he'd fallen on during the struggle. After the murder, yeah, Vikernes and Ruch uh, drove back to Bergen, and on the way they stopped at a lake where Vikernes disp- disposed of his bloodstained clothes. The self-defence story is doubted by other members of the scene, which is reasonable enough. Vikernes was arrested days after, and um, when they raided his home, police found 150 kilos of explosives and 3,000 rounds of ammunition in his home. According to a, few ple- a couple of people, Vikernes basically intended to blow up the Blitz House, which was a radical leftist and anarchist enclave in, As- in Oslo. And w- which was apparently on the verge of execution. Though Vikernes denied his claim, saying that um, I was getting the explosives and I was getting them to in order to defend Norway if we were attacked at any time. During the Cold War, the US and, and Soviet Union could have, atta- could have decided to attack us. We have no reason to trust neither the government, the royal family, or the military because of what happened last time we were attacked. We are left to ourselves. Vikernes was then was sentenced to 21 years in prison, which is Norway's maximum penalty. Uh, for, for the murder of Euronymous, the arson of three churches, the attempted arson of a fourth church, and for the theft and storage of 150 kilos of explosives. He, he only confessed to the latter. And on the day he was sentenced, two churches were burnt, said to be a statement of a symbolic statement of support. Ruth was uh, sentenced to eight years in prison for being an accomplice. According to Vikernes, um, Ruth only came along to show Euronymous some new guitar riffs and was in the wrong place, the wrong place at the wrong time. And Ruth claimed that in the summer of '93 he was almost committed to a mental hospital, but fled to Bergen and stayed with Vikernes. Vikernes planned to murder Euronymous and pressured him into coming along. He, and, he, and he also says that uh, I was neither for it nor against it. I don't give a shit about Oystone. Vikernes called uh, Ruth's, defen- Ruth's claims a defence to make sure that he couldn't blame him. After this, uh, in May 94, the mysterious Don Sophanus was finally released and dedicated to Euronymous. Its release had been delayed because of complaints filed by Euronymous' parents, who had objected to the presence of the bass, of the bass guitar parts played by Vikernes. According to Vikernes himself, Hellhammer basically assured Euronymous' parents that he would re-record the bass tracks himself. The thing with this is that Hellhammer couldn't play bass, so he left the tracks unchanged, so the album still features Vikernis as the bassist. Hellhammer said that, I thought it was appropriate that the murderer and victim were on the same record. I put word out that I was re-recording the bass parts, but I never did. So the album still has Euronymous on electric guitar and Vikernis on bass. Yeah, and needless to say, it is quite an infamous album at this point. Yeah, after this, the part um, the Norwegian scene was a bit split, with some with some of them considering Bakernis a traitor for murdering Euronymous and turning his back on Satanism in favour of nationalism and Odinism. Though Bakernis uh, claims that he was never a Satanist and only used Satan to 
Satan to to provoke. People saw Euronymous' death as a as a big loss to the scene, and um, with some fans swearing to avenge uh, Euronymous' death. And then it's no it's worth noting that um, a lot of Euronymous' uh, friends and bandmates tend to speak of the killing with indifference. Lords of Chaos basically said that what's striking is how little they care about the lives or deaths of one another. A few artists claim that Euronymous' death did not affect or at least not shock them. Uh, with a friend saying, and one friend said, it wasn't odd that he ended up getting killed. He thought he could threaten to kill people without having any consequences. I think many people felt relief once he was gone. And yeah, that, so that was Euronymous. Anyway, let's let's go back to Varg, shall we? Um, he served his sentence at multiple prisons, uh, which were in Bergen, Tonsberg, uh, Ringerik, Trondheim, and Tromsø. And in late '94, he wrote a book called Vagsmal, which um, which translates to Varg's speech, which he said he wrote to defend himself against all the media lies. He also says that the book is marked by his isolation and anger at the time. Yeah, basically, Vagsmar became available on the internet for a while in 96, but wasn't available in printed form until 97, when a Norwegian publisher released a paperback of the book, uh, that was, and it was financed by Vikernes' mother. And he says that um, the prison authorities confiscated the manuscript, and for several years I wasn't even allowed to proofread it. It was an unfinished manuscript consisting of many separate articles, and ideally, I would like I would have been able to make some changes before it was published, but I wasn't. Eventually, I gave up and just published as it was, with all the errors and not so balanced articles. On eighth of April, nineteen ninety-seven, the Norwegian police arrested five neo-Nazis in Hemnes. They were, according to the police, they were plotting um, attacks on political and religious figures in Norway and had plans to break Vikernes out of prison. Apparently they, ha- they had all the trappings of a, paramilitary, of a paramilitary unit, including guns, bulletproof vests, steel helmets, balaclavas, uh, and explosives. One of its members, Tom Iternes, had, befriend- had befriended Vikernes in prison before escaping while on leave. Vikernes' mother was um, arrested for supplying the group with 100,000 kroner, she confessed, but claimed that she didn't know that they were right-wing extremists, and her son was being attacked by inmates. After late '96, where his jaw was reportedly broken in a fight with another inmate, though um, the prison director claims that said her claims were unfounded, and uh, the police suspect that the money came from Vikernes himself. Vikernes, for a while, Vikernes adopted a skinhead look and wore a belt buckle with an SS signia around the time. Um, despite her confession, Bohr was not Bohr wasn't convicted. Um, and a case against the group was dropped. Well, I'm sure you'll be pleased to know that Vikernes um, seemed to have it quite peachy in jail. Like, dis- despite everything, he recorded two albums made up of ambient and neo-folk music. Um, I mean, yeah, he wasn't allowed traditional instruments, so he in- so instead he used the synthesizer. Then, in 2000, he ended his musical project, uh, believing his philosophy was constant, yeah, was being misinterpreted by an ignorant fanbase that was too closely related to black metal and Satanism. Through his website, yes, he has a website, uh, he said that he hoped to continue Burzum after after his release from prison uh, and said he'd, he'll publish a few books and perhaps a Burzum album or two, but that's it. Between 98 and 2004, Vikernes would write a further five books in prison, 
Yeah, and by late 2003, he'd also be- began writing articles for Berzen.org, which became the official Berzen website. In August 2003, Vikernes was transferred from a maximum security prison in Bergen to a low, to a low security prison in Tonsberg. And on the 26th of October, Vikernes went on the run after being granted a short leave. He stopped a car in, Nud- in Numedal with, with a family of three who said that he hijacked the gun at gunpoint. About 19 hours later, police stopped the car in Romerik and arrested him again. The car contained knives, a gas mask, camouflage clothing, a portable GPS navigator, uh, maps, a compass, a laptop, and a mobile phone. Uh, they also found a handgun and a AG-3 automatic rifle in the cabin in Rolag, where Vikernes where had hidden during his escape. And basically they concluded that his escape was well planned out and involved assistance from from several people from the outside. Uh, before his escape, Vikernes gave his mother a letter, uh, writing that he'd received death threats and they never anyway had tried to strangle him shortly after the newspaper article was published. And, uh, basically, and for his actions here, 13 months were added to his sentence. And he was moved to a prison in Ringerik. In July 2004, he was then moved to a maximum security prison in Trondheim. And he spent the last three years of his sentence in Tromso prison. In July 2005, um, on his website, he ex- the Kernis explained that though he occasionally used the word Nazism to, to describe his ideological foundation, he no longer, he no longer s- described himself as such. Saying, the reason I've been drawn to and occasionally express support for Nazism is because many of the Norwegian Nazis embraced our pagan religion as our blood religion, and they, re- and they rejected Judeo-Christianity as Jewish heresy. They basically said three things to distinguish him from the Nazis. Unlike them, he is not socialistic, he is not materialistic, and, in- and he believes in ancient Scandinavian democracy, and expressed a desire not to be associated with, en- with anti-Slavic sentiments. Like being the lovely guy he is, he states that though he is a racist in the sense that he acknowledges physical and mental differences between races, he hates no one and in, and in general states that hatred is irrational. So yeah, lovely guy. Yeah, when Vikernes was originally convicted, and on the 22nd of May 2009, he confirmed that he'd been released from prison on, probo- on probation after serving 15 years of his 21-year sentence. After prison, he continued with Burzum after uh, after the release, and released a further three black metal albums, and a compilation of re-recorded songs. On the 27th of April 2013, uh, he posted a song on his official YouTube channel, yes, he has a YouTube channel as well, titled Back to the Shadows, which he stated, which he stated was, the, was going to be the last metal track released by Burzum, and in May 2013, he released another al- ambient album. Uh, he also continued writing, uh, both on the website and his personal blog. So he's all over the internet. Yeah. And the website Ancestral Cult was created by him and his wife. Yeah. And in 2013, they also released a film called Forebears, based, which was based on ancient G- Germanic pagan rituals. Uh, in July 2013, Vikernes and his wife uh, were arrested in France on suspicion of planning acts of terrorism after his wife bought four rifles. Four rifles? Minus one, that's three. Quick maths. I apologise for nothing. <laughs> after, but after they were released without charge, after after the police failed to identify any terrorist plans or targets, though he was charged by by the French authorities with inciting racial hatred against Jews and Muslims. And on 
the 8th of July 2014, he was convicted of inciting racial hatred and sentenced to another six months of probation and a fine of 8,000 euros. So he kept being a dick. Not much, not much had changed. And one last thing I thought was interesting about him. Two years ago, Varg released his own tabletop role-playing game named Mi- uh, Mifarog, which stands for Mythical Fantasy Role-Playing Game, and it's which is based upon uh, European values, geography, history, mythology, tradition, and morals. And according to him, offers the player the opportunity to play a game in accordance with your own European nature. I don't know what that means, but I just, but you know what? I think there's a running theme here. He's probably being a dick. <laughs> just to wrap up, I'm gonna I'll say that um, mayhem is still around today after being reformed. Yeah, and though in c- comparison, there weren't any, there weren't any uh, crime convictions or anything. Like they did, they did have some controversy when uh, due to racist statements and use of Nazi imagery leading to accusations of neo-Nazism. Maniac did leave the band later, um, and which according to Necrobutcher, which I am still not bored of saying, was due to alcoholism induced by stage fright. Yeah, and he said because of because of this tendency, a violent encounter between yeah between Maniac and Blasphemer had um, had led to Blasphemer kicking Maniac down a flight of stairs. Attila was um, reinstated as his replacement. Yeah, and the last little bit was then was when Mayhem made headlines in 2003, when a fan was la- when a fan ended up in hospital with a fractured skull after being hit by a severed sheep's head that had been thrown into the audience from the stage. Assault charges were filed, but the band considered it to have been entirely accidental. So um, yeah, I think that was good. I think that's a good pl- place to end it. There are bits and pe- there are other bits from yeah, there are other bits about Norwegian black metal, but um, at the same time. This recording has been going on. I feel like this recording is going to end up being quite long, after, even after editing. So um, we'll wrap it up there. And yeah, okay. Can't really do an episode without um, an episode about music without uh, doing some of the best ofs, right? Well, like before researching this episode, I didn't really know much about black metal. I still don't really know that much about black metal, but um. I spent a while, well, I spent a while listening to some while I was researching. So um yeah, from what I can tell, some of the like I'd say like I'd say some of the most influential uh, black metal songs out there are are probably Freezing Moon by Mayhem, Dunkle Height by Burzum, uh and I Am the Black Emperors by uh, by Emperor. However, my my favorite like my favourites that I heard while I was listening were Gateways and Puritania by Dimmu Borgir and King by Satyricon. And then just a few shout outs. Okay, thank you. For, like, I'm going to say thank you again to Nox Arcana for, the, uh, intermiss- for our intermission music. And once again this week, uh, the podcast, like three podcasts I've really enjoyed. Uh, I've been catching up again with the Black Tapes. Which is an amazing podcast. Um, if you love a good paranormal story uh, with some investigation and stuff, um, I've re- and I also really enjoyed Nature of the Beast and Two Girls One Ghost. Uh, and finally, uh, before I cut off, one thing that I really enjoyed that I've that I really enjoy and I've showed this to a few people like since I found it 
if you want a video that's super creepy, uh, go and hop onto YouTube and look up My House Walkthrough by Nana825763. And um, don't worry, there's no jump scares or anything. It is fantastically creepy. Uh, and uh, on that, I'll wrap it up. And uh, if you and if you enjoyed this, leave us a rating, review, share us with your friends, family, uh, anyone. Yeah, you can also find you can find me on Twitter and Facebook, uh, facebook.com/bloodontherocks, or on Twitter under the handle at the bloody rocks. Um, we also have e- an email address at at btorpodcast at gmail.com. And um, once again, a big thank you for listening, and I'll hope and hopefully I'll see you next week.